Good morning. Good morning. Just before, uh, just before I start, I don't want anybody to put their hands up for this one, because remember we've got the Cray twins sitting down here, Dan and Carl. Okay. But um, this morning, when you woke up, did you think to yourself, great, it's Sunday. Great, going to church. Wow, that is, I'm really looking forward to this. I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to come together with like-minded individuals to praise God. You know, I really am looking forward to coming along to church this morning. If that was your experience this morning, then that is, that is wonderful. Because that isn't the same for... Uh, folk around, around the globe at this, at this current time and consider the possibility that even in our own country there may come a time, there may come a time where it is difficult to meet together as like-minded individuals, as Christians to, to express the gospel, to express the love of God because of the possible problems that, that may cause in other, other sectors of society. So just bear that in mind as uh, we look at uh, the passage that we're going to look at this morning, which is in Acts 7. But before we read that, uh, that um, portion of scripture, I just would like to uh, read to you an article that was written in The Independent on the 27th of July, 2014. And it was written by a guy called uh, Paul Vowely, who was the visiting professor of ethics at Chester University. And the article was entitled, Christians, the most persecuted people. And this is how the article read. One woman, at least, is safe. Throughout much of her pregnancy, she had been in prison in Khartoum, the capital of the Republic of Sudan, living with the dread expectation that she would be hanged once her baby was born. Her crime was that she had married a Christian and had been accused by the authorities of apostasy, renouncing her faith even though she maintained that she had never been a Muslim in the first place. On Thursday, Miriam Ibrahim, eight-month ordeal, was finally ended when she was flown out of the country to Rome, where she and her new baby daughter met with the Pope in the Vatican. And the article moves on. But it has been a difficult story for the 3,000 Christians in Mosul, who were driven from their home in northern Iraq last week. Now, just again, remember that this was uh, an article from 2014. They were driven from their homes in northern Iraq last week by Islamic fundamentalists who broadcast a fatwa from the loudspeakers of the city's mosque, ordering them to convert to Islam, submit to its rule and pay a religious levy or be put to death if they stayed. The last to leave was a disabled woman who could not travel. The fanatics arrived at her home and told her that they would cut off her head with a sword. 
Most people in the West would be surprised by the answer to the question, who is the most persecuted people in the world? According to an international society, included, sorry, according to the International Society of Human Rights, a secular group with members in 38 states worldwide, 80% of all acts of religious discrimination in the world today are, to, are directed towards Christians. A very sobering thought that I think very much highlights what I'm going to be talking about this morning. Now those are obviously very cold facts uh, and uh, again possibly without verification and it's always going to be open to, to comment but after I read those I thought right let's look for confirmation, let's look for other accounts and so I went on to the Open Doors website where I found some very interesting facts but at the same time very disturbing facts on the hardships that are faced by Christians today. Uh, but there are, there is a light, there is light. So if you don't mind I'm going to just read again some further uh, points from Open Doors. Using data from the Open Doors World Watch list the only annual survey of religious liberty conditions for Christians around the world, it lists 50 countries where, there is, where it is hardest to be a Christian. These are the places where followers of Christ must keep their beliefs hidden and where living the gospel means facing beating, imprisonment and discrimination and abuse. In Syria, for example, some 40% of, of the Christian population has fled the, fled the country. While in Nigeria, Boko Haram militants have attacked Christian communities, and have abducted their, uh, abducted their children. In Iraq, the ultra-violent jihadist Islamic State group has destroyed long-established Christian communities. In Sudan, a, a pregnant woman was sentenced to death on the charges of adultery and apostasy uh, from Islam and only released after serious international pressure, as we've just been reading. And yet there is light at the end of the tunnel. And that is the growth of the Christian movement within China and particularly within the house group um, community within China. And again, one of some really very interesting words uh, that were spoken by one of the leaders there. Persecution is two parts opportunity, one part crisis. God always brings opportunity out of crisis. So along with the darkness, there is also light. There is violence and injustice, but there is also hope. There is also hope. So what are we to make of this? Why is it that Christians seem to be under so much persecution? Our reading this morning traces some of what Dan said the other week concerning Stephen, the first martyr. So turn, if you would, to Acts 7, if you have your Bibles with you. And we're going to read from verse 51 of Acts 7 through to chapter 8. And this is what we read. You stiff-necked people, 
with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through the angels, but have not obeyed it. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, Look, he said, I see heaven open, and a son of man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. I can honestly see now why Dan and Carl decided that I would be the one who had to deliver, <laughs> deliver this morning's service. Thank you. <laughs> so, calling the leaders of the time, the Sanhedrin, a bunch of stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts, and then being taken out, of, taken out Stephen being taken out uh, of the city and then being stoned, does seem, on the face of it, to be very extreme. It's like me saying to Dan that Liverpool is a useless football team and him coming over and punching me square in the face. It's a punishment that doesn't seem to fit the bill. But I suppose that's where the saying, the truth hurts, comes from. <laughs> Stephen chose to uh, present the truth to the leaders of the time and they reacted in a way that seemed very extreme. They delivered a punishment which didn't seem to fit the bill. So what had preceded this? What had led the Sanhedrin, what had led these so-called holy people, what had led them to instigate such a brutal act against a believer? Let's briefly go back to look at what has preceded this particular event. And if you would, we're going to go back to Acts 4. And here we have an account of Peter and John being taken before those same religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, for preaching that the forgiveness of sins has been dealt with through the death of Christ on the cross. 
and to all who believe. And we read in Acts 3 verse 19, Repent then, this is Peter speaking, Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. For some reason, the leaders of the time, the ruling council, the Sanhedrin, took exception to that message. And they had Peter and John brought before them. In whose name, they said, in whose name do you heal this crippled beggar? And from Acts 4 verse 8 we read, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how was he healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the Lord, sorry, it is by the name of Jesus, the Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. That is the man who stands, that is why the man stands before you healed. Jesus is the cornerstone the builders rejected, which, is, which has come, which is, sorry, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So you can imagine the anger which is beginning to grow in the hearts of these spiritual overseers, the frustration that they see that these mere fisher folk, these mere unlearned individuals, the effect that they are having on the masses, the, the, the amount of people, as we have already read in the Acts, who are being affected by this message. But to keep the peace, the leaders decided to let Peter and John go. We then move to Acts 5, and we have another case where Peter and some of the apostles were again brought before the leaders. And again, they were asked to keep quiet, stop going round talking about this Jesus. And Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on a cross. God exhorted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgiveness of their sins. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Suffice it to say the leaders didn't take kindly to those words. They didn't take kindly to this put down by these humble fisher folk. And again, insisted that they stopped talking about this Jesus. They then, as the uh, scriptures will say, they then flogged them and sent them on their way. But what of Peter? What of the apostles? Well, they left rejoicing. They left praising God 
because they were there because of their suffering in the name of Jesus. And so we now have the account of Stephen. And again, we have uh, Stephen declaring the name of the Lord Jesus. But this time the Sanhedrin reacted in a completely different way. And as our account has said this morning, they took Stephen out of the city and they stoned him to death. Now these accounts leave me asking one question, and that is, what is it about the message of Jesus brought to both Jew and Gentile that really riled the leaders of the time? The stiffnecks, the so-called religious leaders. And I believe that it comes from probably the most poignant verse within scripture and that is John 14 verse 6 and Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me this is the message that the apostles were bringing to the to the people not through the law no more sacrifice no more ritual only freedom from sin through the name of the Lord Jesus and that message hasn't changed the only way to God is through Jesus the only way to God is calling on the name of Jesus he is our saviour. There is no amount of good works which is going to get us to God. I am a good person is not going to get you to God. No religious observance is going to get you to God. And no, not all religions lead to God. This is an unswerving, this is an uncompromising message that no one can come to the Father except through Jesus. And we wonder why the apostles faced such hardship. We wonder why the apostles faced such hard times. We wonder why Stephen got stoned. And we wonder why Christians around the globe today face daily persecution. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Jesus, Jesus was not a nice guy. Sorry. Jesus was not just, <laughs> sorry, sorry. We just wiped that a little bit off the time. <laughs> Jesus was not simply a nice guy, a great teacher, a prophet. He was the Son of God. He is our only way back. He was and is our 
Redeemer. He is our King. And ladies and gentlemen, that is the message that we need to take to a lost world. That is the message that is going to change lives and bring hope. That is a message that is going to bring hope to those who are listening. But at the same time, we have got to realise that from others, that is going to bring anger and possible hatred. People, this is a very difficult message that we take to the world. This is a message that where we could face difficulties maybe within our home life, difficulties at work. We may lose our job. Potentially, it could have quite deep effects on us because of the nature of the message that we bring to a lost world. Are you prepared to stick your head above the parapet and have it potentially shot off? Are you prepared to take this uncompromising message to your friends and your family members who don't know Christ and say, the only way to God is through Christ? Forget the I am a nice person rubbish. The only way to God is through Christ. I did that once when I was younger and uh, just shortly after becoming a Christian I was uh, baptised at the age of 17 and I decided that I would invite all my workmates to my baptismal service. They had never witnessed anything like it. And now I was a young man, I was very enthusiastic and I thought, right, there's no stopping me now. I'm going to I'm going to, you know, after I've had all my friends come to my baptismal service, I'm going to take this message of, uh, of, of Jesus to the rest of my friends, to the rest of my colleagues at work. And for about uh, a month or two, I went, on a, I went on a crusade. I thought, I'm going to tell every one of my workmates about Jesus and that he is the only way to God. So get your act together and believe. Suffice it to say, some thought that I was a religious nutter. Some just simply ignored me. And yet some took exception to being told how they, that the way they lived their lives was wrong. And I can only say that 17-18-year-old apprentice engineers don't show a great deal of human kindness when it comes to a religious idiot. And let's just say it was a very hard lesson. A lesson which affected me for many years. I, I did try to witness, but in fairness, because of all that went on, I did tend to lose my, my zeal. I did tend to lose my eagerness. I did tend to lose my enthusiasm to stick my head above the parapet. I just want to pause there just to say that it is a very tough message 
that we go to our friends with, that we go to our workmates with. And for me, it took a long time to overcome the sort of abuse that I got. But as I've got older, uh, as it says in, in Romans, in the early parts of Romans, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And that has had quite a profound effect on my life. I don't want to be ashamed of the gospel because it is the power to affect my friends. It has the power to affect my work colleagues. And so, yes, I've maybe chosen a slightly different approach, but I still desire to see friends and family come to know God. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you've tried to take the Christian message. Maybe you've tried to take that message that the only way to God is through Jesus, to your friends and to your family. You've stuck your head above the parapet and in your eyes you've failed. You've been praying for opportunities. You've been praying for a particular person for many years. Or every time the subject comes up, they either change the subject or it descends into a massive argument or maybe something worse. Some words that Dan shared this morning from Hebrews 12, I want to share again. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so often ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race which is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy has set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And as hard as that message is, and as hard as, you know, you thinking that you are the only one who is going through these difficulties. As hard it was as it is for me to hear because of the abuse that I have faced when I was younger. Jesus has had to go through a lot worse. So my message this morning would be Keep going. Keep going because Jesus is before you. But why? Why? Well, earlier in our reading, we were introduced to a character called Saul, who in modern days would probably be called the Judge Dredge of the Judge Dread of the Christian church. He made killing Christians almost a national sport. He was a very nasty individual. And one chapter on, and everything has changed. Jesus has exploded into this man's life. 
And after a blinding light and a name change, we have the most notable apostle who ever walked this earth. We have before us a New Testament which is dedicated to Paul's letters, Paul's missionary journeys, Paul's floggings, Paul's beatings, Paul's witness. And if God can take a man like Saul, who in Jesus' own words, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And in the next, and in the next moment, we have a man called Paul, travelling the length and breadth of the Mediterranean, proclaiming the name of Jesus, then there is hope for that family member. There is hope for that work colleague. There is hope for that schoolmate, that boss, those noisy neighbours, those annoying youngsters. They can know Jesus. Because... There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. We should never forget that. Moving on. What is the outcome of this brutal act carried out on behalf of these religious leaders? In chapter 8, we read, And Saul approved of their killing of their killing him that's Stephen on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him but Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. From this brutal act, a shockwave went out. This new community of believers were scattered. These newly liberated believers who couldn't control their excitement of knowing that their sins were forgiven They were sent fleeing from their homes or dragged away and put into prison. I'd just like to read to you another extract from the open doors. And this concerns Somalia. The militant group, the militant Islamic group, Al Shabaab, has publicly declared that Somalia is to be free of any Christians. Those who are suspected of being Christians are frequently killed on the spot, meaning Christians must keep their faith completely secret. Believers are often isolated and at most will meet in small groups. They cannot own Bibles, as this could put them in danger. Islam is enshrined as a state religion in the nation's constitution, making apostasy, making apostasy, converting to a new religion, illegal. And those who attack Christians do so 
with impunity. There is no difference from then as there is now. You see, when God moves in power, you are going to get those who heed the message. Those who realise that they have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And they turn away from their old lives and live a life knowing that their sins are forgiven. Realising that this great gift is for all. And all they want to do is to tell others about this tremendous gift. And some people will listen. But others won't. And furthermore, there will be those who will get really angry about the message that they are hearing. That Jesus is the only way to receive the forgiveness from God. That Jesus is the only way to God and that goes against all that they believe. And that is when persecutions start. So I say again, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this is the message that we go to Newbold with. This is the message that we go to our family members with, to our friends with, to our enemies with. And this is and is this going to be easy? No, it's not. Are you going to face opposition? Are you going to be considered a bit weird? Are you going to be considered a religious fanatic? There is the possibility that yes, you will be. But consider this. You have been bought at a cost. In Romans 5 verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you think taking this message is going to be hard, Christ has faced a lot worse. And in closing, we have these words from Matthew. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let me read those words again. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you perse and persecute you and say false, falsely and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. 
For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And let me just pause there. Here at Redeemer King, one of our single aims is to take that message that Christ died for us to the community here in Newbold. It is mission is at the centre of our drive here at Redeemer King. But as leaders, we don't want anybody to think that this is going to be an easy ride. We don't want anybody thinking that going to this community and telling others about the love of Jesus is going to be easy. We are going to face opposition. That is a, is a fact. It's a very difficult message. It's a very difficult message that we bring. And I don't want to stand here and say, you know, what is ahead of us? As, as exciting as it is, again, we are going to face hardship. So let me just close by the words of Jesus and the very powerful message that it brings. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is the message. Now go out and deliver it. Amen.